Thanks, TG. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. My name's Susanna Hoke, and I'm the Director of Discipleship here at UPC. And I've been asked two questions regularly since I started here in March. Who are you, and what's your plan for discipleship? So the who am I, I I sincerely hope that over the coming months and years that I get to know you and your story, and you will over the course of time get to know me. But to kick things off, I wanted to offer three little facts about myself. The first is that I am your neighbor. I live just a couple blocks from the church here, and we moved here about seven years ago from California. And living in the university district, I share that because it has a huge connection for me in terms of my own discipleship and my sense of mission here. The second little fact about me, I graduated from Fuller and Seattle Pacific Seminaries, and I have one picture of that graduation that I wanted to share with you. You can't see my face very well, but I'm making this like super awkward face. So this is the one photo evidence of that. And then the third thing about me, I am the wife of Steve and mother of three. Camille and Anna are in high school, and Daniel is in sixth grade, and I wanted to share a family photo. This is our extended family, and we are the crazy ones in the middle. So with that out of the way, let's talk about discipleship. I will offer a few thoughts towards the end about a bit of a plan or um, strategy, what discipleship will look like and mean for you sitting here and watching us online. But what I'd like to do for the bulk of our time this morning is look at an interaction between Jesus and his disciples that I think will help us understand Jesus's vision for discipleship. It will consider an invitation that Jesus makes to his disciples and also look at their responses. You and I are invited not just to be believers in Jesus Christ, but also to be disciples of Jesus. The word, this word disciple is used throughout the New Testament. The word in Greek is methetes, and it translates as learner or student. But we know that Jesus didn't teach in a classroom. And so our understanding of being a disciple shouldn't just be about an academic endeavor. It doesn't just exist above our eyebrows, isn't just about information. The invitation to discipleship is an invitation into a particular type of relationship. Again, it's a relationship that's not just about belief in an idea, but adoption of a way of being that's patterned after a master teacher. To be a disciple in Jesus's time meant to walk closely with, to follow, even to mimic the behavior of a master teacher. And this master teacher had authority in the lives of their follower. When we say yes to Jesus as our savior, He asks us to follow him as our master teacher. He asks us to give him authority in our life, to say yes to him also as our Lord. And again, this is not just in our mind, not just above our eyebrows, but in our whole self. 
You know, the early church, the first believers in Jesus were known as people of the way. Because that is really what Jesus taught. Not just beliefs, but beliefs lived out in a way of life. To be a disciple of Jesus means to learn and live this way of Jesus. And if I had a sort of working definition of what discipleship is, it would be this. Discipleship is to learn and live the way of Jesus. And again, this is a full body affair. Nothing is left untouched. Discipleship calls for total transformation of our whole selves. And Jesus calls all sorts of people into this. For example, Matthew was a tax collector and he worked for the quote unquote wrong side. Another disciple was Simon. Simon was a national, a zealot nationalist who worked to oppose this wrong side. And yet here are these two men following Jesus together. The word, like I said, methetes is most often found in the masculine form. But in Acts 9, we have an example of the word disciple in the feminine form, methetria. And so through verses like this, and others, and as the story of the early church unfolds, what we see and what we know is that Jesus called people from all sorts of different places, all different backgrounds, all different worldviews, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, zealots and tax collectors into a transformative journey of discipleship. And he extends that same call to this relationship to you and to me. I think one of the best things we can learn about this relationship of discipleship is to read the New Testament. As we hear Jesus' words to his disciples and we witness their interactions, we witness their responses, we can gain insight into our own call to discipleship, understand more fully Jesus' vision. When we do that, when we read these stories, we'll notice pretty quickly that Jesus' words can be pretty intense sometimes. Have you noticed this about Jesus? Sometimes he says things that are a little bit radical. Like when Jesus says in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and brother, brothers, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. A little radical. And the passage that we'll look at this morning from John 6 is one of these types of scenes. It's a bit intense. In fact, when Jesus' own disciples heard him speaking these words, they said, man, this is a hard and difficult teaching. But while it may be radical, and while his first disciples found it difficult to understand and to hear, I'd like to look at it together this morning because I think, again, it helps us understand Jesus' vision for discipleship. What was he offering for those who would follow him? And we'll see also the responses of his disciples who were walking with him. Within these words, Jesus offers us an invitation to an incredible feast. It's a feast that's the source of our life of discipleship. A feast that is freely offered and yet, as we'll see here, and as we know from our own experience, it's not without cost. 
As we turn to read these words, will you first join me in prayer? God, let something essential happen in us this morning. Something that is more than interesting or entertaining or thoughtful. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. May we hear your voice alone. Prepare our hearts to accept your word that we won't just hear it, but we'll also respond in faithfulness to the invitations that you have for us today. Speak to us, O Lord. We, your servants, are listening. Amen. Listen now to the word of God from John 6, verses 48 through 61 and 66 through 69. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? And then reading on, Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So sometimes Jesus says strange things, right? Any kids here? I think there's probably kids in the balcony. Any kids here think this is a strange and maybe a little bit kind of yucky story? All this talk about flesh and blood. Jesus sometimes, he gets a little intense, can get a little bit radical. So what's this story about? What is going on here? Well, first, let me just clear up that Jesus is not talking about cannibalism. He is not talking about literally eating his body. He's talking about offering his full self to us for life-giving nourishment, offering us 
himself through his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is similar to what he does at the Last Supper when he breaks the bread and he pours the wine and he says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. His life-giving nourishment, his whole self for us. And there's a reason here in John 6 that Jesus is talking about bread in the first place. This story happens just after the feeding of the 5,000, that story where the little boy brings his loaves and fishes and Jesus multiplies those to feed the crowd. These crowds have their belly full and now they're following Jesus. This crowd, including his disciples, perhaps still have their mind or perhaps more fittingly their bellies focused on bread. And so they come to Jesus. And they come to Jesus to get what they want from him. And Jesus responds by clarifying who he is and what he is offering and inviting them to a meal beyond and different from what they know. And Jesus' response to his disciples and to this crowd places many who are listening at a crossroads. Will they follow Or will they walk away? And as we seek to understand Jesus' invitation to us into a relationship of discipleship, I'd like to look at four crossroads that come up in this story. The first is with this talk of manna. Jesus clarifies in here that he's not manna. What does this mean? Manna is the bread that God provided for the Israelites in the Old Testament as they move through the promised land. Some of you kids may have heard this in your Bible stories, right? The bread that came down from heaven, these little wafer crackers that that they would find on the ground. This was God's provision, but here Jesus is saying that he's not manna. And in saying this, I think Jesus is saying two things. First, he's addressing the limitations of the law and the religious system. The law was set up to help keep people in relationship with God. But now it's through Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection that we are reconciled, that we have relationship with God. See, manna only lasted one day, and then it spoiled. Manna was limited. But the bread that Jesus offers us is eternal. This is the good news that we celebrate, that we are not saved by works or by law keeping, but we're saved through faith and through trust in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The second thing that Jesus is doing here, I think with this talk of manna, is something that he does in lots of other places. And he's exposing and challenging the limitations of the religious institution and also the attachment to what has become really religiosity. He says, I am not what you have known in the past. I'm not a perpetuation of this religious system that's developed because this religious system is not working and it's particularly not working for the outsiders and the marginalized. This feast that Jesus invites us to is not what manna represents. It's not salvation through the law. The feast that Jesus offers is greater than that. But it's also different than that, different than what's been known in the past. 
And that sometimes different can be hard. Rule keeping, faith by works is hard to shake. And the audacity of grace, the boldness of grace offered to you and me, the boldness of grace offered to the whole world can be difficult to embrace, difficult to take in, difficult to believe and to extend. Jesus is saying sort of what we've been talking about here at UPC. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I am a new thing. See how it's springing up. As we think about our discipleship, this journey of discipleship, in what ways are we being asked to follow Jesus away from religiosity? Maybe away, away from what we've known in the past and into relationship with Jesus. Jesus is also saying in this interaction that he's not a bread and circus show. So a Roman poet in the first century is credited with saying, give the people bread and circuses, right? This is what we think of sometimes with, with Rome, the, somebody tossing out the bread to the crowds to keep them entertained and distracted. And Jesus seems to be rejecting a similar pressure here to give the people what they want on their own terms. The crowds are following Jesus, wanting more miracles, perhaps wanting their bread and circus. And a second crossroads that seems to come up here is that Jesus rejects being what the people want him to be on their terms and instead invites them into a much deeper meal. So a question for us as we consider our own discipleship to Jesus. In what ways are we seeking Jesus just for the bread on our own terms? This feast of bread that Jesus offers is also an earthy invitation that impacts not just our souls but also our bodies. And this places some at a crossroads. In this invitation, the words that we read in John 6, as we talked about, there's a lot of talk about flesh and blood. Gets very physical, very earthy. And this is something that, John, that Jesus does in several places in John. Think about the opening words to John. The word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and came to dwell among us. Jesus lived an embodied existence. And his lordship, his redemption, his presence touches both the physical and the spiritual. The body and blood of Jesus matter for our physical and our spiritual lives. And because of this, nothing is left untouched by Jesus' redemption and nothing is left unfed by the grace and power of Jesus. My discipleship, my journey with Jesus, is not just about my spiritual state and my soul. It's also about my embodied existence. It impacts my relationships, my thoughts, my behaviors. Jesus' salvation and lordship matter for how I move through the world as myself, as a white woman, as a mother of three. My discipleship, learning and living the way of Jesus 
changes how I understand things like power and privilege, like politics, like money and sex, like anger and forgiveness, like friendship and family. Now let me say that this is not about a formula, right? As I seek to live faithfully following Jesus, my master teacher, as you seek to live faithfully in this journey of discipleship, following Jesus, your master teacher, we will very likely at some point vote differently, right? We might likely have different ways that we steward our resources as disciples of Jesus. But like Matthew, the tax collector, and like Simon, the zealot, we will both be discerning what does it mean for Jesus to change, to convert, to form, to transform, to speak into all aspects of our life. This is Philippians 2.12, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not work for our salvation, not earn our salvation, but work out the implications of Jesus's lordship and salvation in our lives in which nothing is left untouched. Our physical and our spiritual lives are not detached from one another. We belong body and soul to God and our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived an embodied existence in faithfulness to the Father and asks us to as well. And sometimes this places us at a crossroads. The fourth crossroads that I see in this is that this invitation that Jesus gives recognizes the impact of our consumption. People say, maybe it's like fitness gurus, I'm not sure, but I've heard it said, we are what we eat, right? Or if we think of it this way, we are shaped by what we consume. These things become the fuel of our life. They form us. I was reading an article the other day that made the claim that most, social, most discipleship is happening over social media that most discipleship is happening over social media. And the point of the article was that for those of us involved in disciple making, we should be thinking about this as a platform. And I have lots of thoughts about that. I'm not sure where I land, but it's a really fair warning for us as consumers of social media and media in general. How is this shaping our discipleship? We are eating somewhere. And that is shaping our minds, our spirits, our bodies, our relationships, our worship. And sometimes those, those things can pull us away from the feast of Jesus. They can take us down a different road. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us, come to this table, fill your life with my life, consume me. Sustain your life with mine. Make your home in me and with me. This table that we are invited to by Jesus is a particular table. It's a particular feast that challenges expectations and challenges the reach of Jesus into our life. Sometimes we like to keep certain things off limits to him. Sometimes we like to have Jesus on our own terms. And this is perhaps what the disciples, the crowds, found so difficult and offensive. 
It's not a feast based on the expectations of the religious institution. Manna was limited. It's not a feast on the terms of the people. Jesus wasn't going to just wave a wand and generate bread. It's a particular feast based on the claim of Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And this lordship and salvation intrudes into our whole life, our whole selves. This past season, perhaps more than ever, we may have come to our own crossroads about Jesus. The Bible is a book of hard teachings. Jesus' words can sometimes be difficult. And we will encounter things that will make us want to walk away. We might be tempted to believe that while Jesus is a good teacher, he is not our master teacher, cannot be Lord and Savior. What has been difficult for you in the teachings of Jesus? What has caused you to perhaps want to push away from the table? While we may not find offense at this particular story, I think we can relate to the difficulty we face when we come across a hard or difficult teaching for, from Jesus. I do. I experience that sometimes when I read Jesus' words. Perhaps when we hear Jesus say that whoever wants to save his life must lose it. Or when we hear him say, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Perhaps when he asks us to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. Or that if you would follow after me, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross. We might take offense when he asks us to love our enemies or to give someone your shirt also when they ask for your coat. See, the gospel, the words and ministry and person of Jesus Christ is good, good news. It's the news that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The words found in the worship songs we were singing this morning about the mercy of God. It's also life-altering news. It literally calls us out of one way of life and into another. And sometimes this is hard. We know this about the journey of discipleship. Jesus says this himself, that it's a narrow road. It will require us to lose our lives. We're even cautioned by Jesus himself to count the cost. Yet while we may relate to the disciples' struggle with the difficult teachings of Jesus, we'll also really relate to Peter's words in response to Jesus' question. Jesus looks at his disciples and asks, will you also go away? And Peter responds with some of my very favorite words. Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words. You are the word of eternal life. And we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God, Lord and Savior. That's the thing that Peter discovered, and perhaps you've discovered as well, that the narrow road that Jesus called him to walk was the road to life both now and in the life to come. That doesn't always mean easy, we know this. It doesn't always mean clear, but it means living in the goodness and kindness of God now. It means finding your home in God. It means food to give you life. It means the body of Christ 
broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. It means the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, our advocate and helper with us now. It means, I believe, experiencing the first fruits of reconciled relationships now. It means the grace and peace and presence of Jesus with you and for you. Jesus says that whoever wants to find life must lose it for his sake, which means if you do the math, at the end of that, you haven't lost life. You've found it. And this is the paradox of the life of discipleship, that we actually find life when we surrender to the way of Jesus. For Peter to have his answer at this crossroads, to respond to Jesus's question as he did, he seems to tap into something important, and that is faith. It takes faith to receive this particular feast. And in many ways, believing this, trusting this feast of Jesus, even when he's not who we want him to be or not what we've known in the past, even when he's not contained in our expectations or fully understood, trusting Jesus, hard teachings and all, is the work of discipleship, the journey of discipleship. Earlier in John 6, the disciples ask what they must do to perform the work of God. And Jesus answers this way. He says, the work of God is this, that you believe in him who he has sent. The work of faith is to believe. To believe that this is the best feast in town. And that while it might cost us something... In fact, it will ask of us our whole lives, our whole selves. It is the feast of life, both now and in the age to come. But what about the plan? What about the plan of discipleship? How do we move beyond these crossroads to learn and live the way of Jesus? How do we join this feast? Early on when I started here, this... Um, Man asked a great question. He said, what does this mean for us sitting in the pews or watching online? And as I think about discipleship here at UPC, as I make my plans and strategies, I go again to Jesus and his words to his first disciples. As he came along the road to various people and walked with disciples, he offered three invitations that are offered to us today and are how I'm framing some of the, the strategy and vision for discipleship here at UPC. These three invitations, come and see, follow me, and go and make disciples. These are invitations that Jesus extends into a relationship of discipleship. And they're the invitations that are extended to us into a relationship of discipleship. We are not going to unpack these in great detail. I have more than used up my time, but I do want to talk about them briefly, give a couple of hints, and you'll see more to come with these things about discipleship. So three invitations, come and see. Jesus says this to Andrew. He says, Andrew, come and see. And Andrew does. What does this mean for us? To be a disciple of Jesus means to respond and keep responding to Jesus' call to move towards him. 
So how do you think about, how do you sense Jesus inviting you to move towards him? And I'd encourage you to take those steps, get involved, sign up, and be curious about Jesus as you go about your your days, and be curious about Jesus in one another. Where do you see him at work? Look for him, move towards that. Keep learning, keep searching, keep moving towards Jesus. The second invitation that Jesus makes is follow me. To follow Jesus means to be formed by Jesus in all aspects of our life. It means leaving behind an old way of thinking, believing, relating, living, and moving, literally walking in the path of Jesus, knowing that nothing is untouched by the discipleship of Jesus. To do this, we learn and do the things that Jesus did. Often this begins with things like spiritual practices, like prayer, reading scripture, worship, fellowship. These are things that Jesus did. As we do these things, we learn to live the way of Jesus. Find people to walk with. Do the work. This might be in your own life or in classes. We hope to use the equipping time starting next Sunday, which will mean you all have to get here early at 940 before worship to offer different things. I'll do a quick plug for summer rest. You can um, pick these up in the narthex. It's a guide for you to explore some spiritual practices and we'll be offering a class during the equipping time next Sunday in Geneva. This fall and throughout this year, we're gonna be reading through scripture using Immerse, which is a Bible reading experience. Uh, My family has to be guinea pigs for things like this. We're about four weeks in And it's been awesome. We've had really meaningful conversations as we've been reading through the Bible together. Again, there'll be more things coming in terms of what does it look like to help us understand how to follow Jesus and not just above the eyebrows, but in our whole life. The third invitation that Jesus makes is go and make disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you are called to be actively involved in making disciples. I think sometimes we forget this one or we feel like it's for people who are maybe particularly called in that way. But we are all called by Jesus to go and make disciples. Sometimes we don't want to get up from this lovely table. We forget that the purpose of the feast is to sustain us for a journey. We forget that this food is meant to be shared and it's meant to equip us for a life of mission and service. So as you think about this, do you have this outward orientation? I hope you're already having people come to mind that you could be involved in in making disciples, making an impact. This could be in your home, your work, your neighborhood. I will say that right now at UPC, we have a need for this in family ministries. I was talking with the staff and they said, we need volunteers as they're opening back up spaces with um, children and youth. And I said, you do not need volunteers. You need people with a vision of making disciples among the families here at UPC. So family ministry staff will be in the narthex as you walk out of this, this space this morning. For those of you online, I think there's a little link coming up and you can find your way on the website to Family Ministries to get involved. It's a great place to be engaged with making disciples. So come and see, 
follow Jesus, go and make disciples. These are the invitations that we hear from Jesus that invite us into a journey of discipleship, a call to learn and live the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus begins and ends and is sustained by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our master teacher. It is a life-altering way of living, one that is offered freely and yet we know, like Peter, it will lead us places that we may not want to go, but to places that are ultimately the places of life. And this is the paradox of the feast of discipleship, that we actually find life when we surrender to the way of Jesus. Perhaps you find yourselves at a crossroads this morning, and that is okay. I want to say that this is a familiar place for those who follow Jesus. And the good news is that I believe that the road of following Jesus is more of a winding path than a grid pattern of right and left turns. We take detours, and Jesus keeps inviting us back to this table, this table in which he holds nothing back from us, not even his very self. I hope you hear Jesus' particular invitation to you this morning. I hope you are encouraged to keep doing the work of believing. And I hope that you consider ways to respond to these calls. Come and see, follow me, and go and make disciples. If you have heard and desire to respond to Jesus' invitation to you this morning, and you're worshiping with us online, you can connect with a spiritual advisor. If you're here in person, there'll be people in the library available to pray with you. And let's pray together as we close this morning. God, help us today to do the work of believing in you, Jesus. You, the one who has been sent to us, given to us as Lord and Savior. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear the invitations that Jesus is making to us and give us courage and conviction to respond. For those of us who are at a crossroads this morning, help us to encounter your words of life and draw us towards you with your kindness and your grace. Thank you that you have given us everything, including your very self, your body and your blood broken and poured out for us. By your grace, we are saved, and by your grace, we are changed. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in this church, in this city, and in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.